This is Terrible Parables, a podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, in which a Bible scholar, a pastor, and an anxious Christian look for some good news and passages of Scripture that are difficult, frightening, or particularly, well, terrible. I'm your host, Callie Yee, and in a little bit, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Todd Brewer and Brian Jarrell. Join us as we find that sometimes the spooky things that go bump in the night are just figments of our imaginations. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that they may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. initial reaction to this parable is one of uncomfortability because Jesus doesn't shy away from acknowledging Hades and this great chasm between heaven and hell. And people don't like talking about hell. I mean, you you, don't like hell. I know it's a thing that exists, but I don't really like thinking about it. I mean, there's fire there. It could be warm. (laughs) I, um, I'm from Minnesota, so I actually like the cold Todd. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> she like she prefers Dante's hell with uh, Satan frozen at the very bottom than to than, than the lake of fire and brimstone revelation. I guess 
Actually, you don't prefer hell at all. You're, no. You're, no. I, no. I, I mean, fair enough. Nobody likes the idea of divine judgment and everyone, it terrifies everybody. It's and, scary. and so this would be a definition of a terrible parable because it brings forward the idea of judgment and, and hell. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of places where, where hell is described in scripture, A, there aren't a ton of them, but B, this is one of the places. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, hell is scary. Hell is scary. Yeah. What else makes this parable so terrible? Uh, so for me, I, I think this is more of like terrible in terms of how it's read and used today. So once again, it's terrible because of the interpretations that people are making. Yeah. It's, it's not just scary because of uh, the health stuff. It's scary because of how people use it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> we make it worse. So it's terrible because, in part because in many ways this plays into a lot of our kind of very forgive the German, but zeitgeisty. God bless you. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, kind of dis- our zeitgeisty disdain of rich people. This kind of yeah. down with the yeah. 1%, uh, you know, let's talk down about the 99. Down with the bourgeoisie. Yeah. Right? With the, with the bourgeoisie. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, thank you, uh, Robespierre. So this, this plays dire- directly into that kind of worldview and validates it in many ways. And, and so what you'll often hear is you'll, you'll hear all about how terrible rich people are and how wonderful, by contrast, poor people are. And it's sort of, it, it's just really misappropriated uh, parable. Anytime you're reading scripture and you're somehow able to like use and reference the latest news in, uh, from the New York Times uh, and quote from them as like as if that were scripture, then your interpretation and and is probably a little off. That's how you know you're in danger. It's, I mean, as a gen- not not across the board, but yeah, as a general yeah. rule of thumb, if if you're feeling validated when you read a passage of scripture, yeah, like that's probably uh, a red a yellow flag or yeah. a red if, flag. If it confirms everything you already think, then it might be time to rethink. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, to get there, you know, my experience, again, we're talking about how this parable is terrible. My experience is people only preach from the first half of this parable, you know, and, and maybe that's part of the, the issue here is that everyone likes to see somebody who's sort of higher up on the cultural totem pole get their comeuppance, you know, that's like a universal you know, I'll, I'll give you a German word too, schadenfreude, right? You know, we project, thank you. I deserve that, right. And so, so we project onto people who are above us on the social totem pole, all of our sort of perceived maladies of, of life. And then when we um, see them fall, we kind of enjoy that. And, and I think when you read this parable, that is an itch that's scratched in us that maybe we should be very cautious about. And so there's more to this parable in its length than just the poor person dies and, and goes to heaven, the rich person dies and goes to hell. It keeps going. That's yeah. only the first half. And so if we're going to deal with a parable that comes from Jesus, let's deal with the whole thing as one literary unit and not stop at, you know, the part that scratches our schadenfreude itch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, if all you're left with is this kind of rich and poor contrast, the other thing that usually ends up happening is, you know, we are so aware of the various extremes of wealth and poverty. And what usually ends up happening is, um, particularly for kind of Americans, uh, 
it, what is said is that we are the rich man. We are mm. not Lazarus. And so there's a kind of automatic judgment. So if, even, right, if it, right. even if there isn't a kind of 1%, hey, th- those people are, are terrible, then there's a kind of direct one-to-one correspondence between wealth and poverty in the kind of Roman uh, Mediterranean first century time and wealth and our understanding of wealth and poverty today, mm. which leads to a kind of robust... Uh, judgment upon us for having Persian rugs or whatever. Yeah, there's a sense in which the this, like, let's not pretend that the socioeconomic world of Jesus's day and the socioeconomic world of our own modern times are exactly parallel. And I think if we can give us that charitable assumption that things can change over time and not project our own situation quite so fully onto Jesus, we're going to find that this is a parable with a lot more to offer us than just eat the rich. So is this parable really that bad? Well, I think there's a lot going on here. One of the things that I took away, you know, when I'm reading this parable, you know, like I said, there's there's kind of two different parts. There's the setup, which is the rich man goes to hell, the poor man goes to heaven. And then there's the punchline, which is Abraham having a conversation with the rich man. And what you get at in that conversation, I call it a Jim Halpert moment, right? Who? Uh, Jim Halpert from The Office. Oh, I should know that. You should know that. Everybody, <laughs> who doesn't watch The Office? Callie doesn't watch The Office. I don't watch The Office, but I still know who Jim Halpert is. Okay, good. So I'm, I'm not crazy. right? Okay. He's always famous for looking at the camera and breaking the fourth wall, right? Mm, I love when people break the fourth wall. It's this, it's this thing. Right, thing. exactly, right? So like you're on stage, you're at a theatrical play, yeah. and the character's interacting, but suddenly one of them turns to the audience and addresses the audience. Or like Fleabag. Ooh. Fleabag, the TV so show. Good. Great example, Season right? two. And, and it strikes me that uh, season two, <laughs> it, it strikes me, especially towards the end, right? What is the last thing Jesus says in this parable? If you get all the way through to the end, he says, here's the last verse. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they, will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead? It's like, well, you know, you don't have to know a whole lot about Jesus, but that's one thing he's pretty famous for, you know, <laughs> rising from the dead. I think Jesus is breaking the fourth wall here, um, that he's putting uh, a word of, of, of judgment in place, yes. But, it, you know, it, the, the point is maybe not so much that there's something inherent about the wealth. The, the great critique here is that they're not listening to the law and the prophets. And so as we talk about why this parable is, is so terrible versus why there's some good news, um, Jesus is saying this is really about the resurrection of the dead. That's really where we should be drawing and focusing our attention on here. And even if um, this rich man's family saw a ghost, <laughs> that, that wouldn't be enough. Um, and so that's one of the interpretive keys to this. That means we should really pay attention to that question about Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, and that being the center focus of, of what, what, what helps this parable make more sense. Yeah. Brian, I'm actually going to take a page from your book. Yes. And I'm going to say, look for the surprise in this parable. Look for the surprise. Oh, yes. Yes. <clears throat> look for the surprise. And the surprise here is buried, I would contend, because in many ways we exist on the other side of this parable. And usually we, we fail to notice the radicality of what Jesus is actually contending for here. Namely, that richness has no value. Right, um, right. You know, just before this, he says, you know, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. 
And his right. very next example of this is of a rich man. And the reason why this is, we, we sort of miss this, right? We have a kind of inherent distrust of rich people. We wonder how they made their money or their a kind of secret resentment or, or whatever it is. You know, we're on the other side of this parable and on the other side of all kinds of history and developments culturally. But in that time, rich people were viewed as being blessed by God. That's right. There's yeah. a whole, there are whole swaths of scripture that talk about this kind of one-to-one correspondence between God's favor and blessing and, and actual riches. Book of Proverbs, uh, the end of Job, there, there's, there's pieces yeah. in there. I mean, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to find that there, there's an expectation that God blesses people who are righteous. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, this is where you get a whole lot of the prosperity gospel. I mean, it's not without biblical warrant to some extent, but in Jesus's time, the rich man was the good guy, you know? Right. It doesn't even say anything about how he spent his money. There's no inherent critique necessarily. There's no kind of inherent reference of that. But what's going on is, you know, the rich guy is not the good guy. The rich guy is detestable in God's sight. There's no sense of reflecting Proverbs or Job or whatever that this is, in fact, a sign of God's Mm. blessing. Mm. And so what Jesus does in this parable, and here's the real surprise, is a complete reversal of valuation. In other words, what we think to be valuable is, in fact, not. Mm. Yeah. And in many ways, this is kind of a picture of grace. Grace is is given in such a way that it reorders our human uh, worldly sense of what is valuable and what is not valuable. Mm. It subverts our notions of what God is, in fact, interested in, what God, in fact, cares for. Right. Uh, Right. So the, th- the things that we would latch on to, to say, this validates and proves my worth. This is what shows me I am enough. This mm. is like that whole kind of enterprise. This is a parable that subverts the quest for enoughness. Mm. Enoughness is found elsewhere and attempts to try to garner enoughness by way of riches, by way of fame, by way of popularity, but however you want to kind of schema that out. This is a parable that subverts that. It's really interesting because that idea that what God is looking for is subversive in some sense to the culture around us, that's something that gets everybody. It's not just, you know, we're, we're laughing about sort of a more socioeconomic, maybe progressive understanding of this parable being an eat the rich kind of thing, but it's also something that's an affront to like the Protestant work ethic you know, and, and more mm-hmm. sort of historically Puritan ideas of like, well, nobody can, you know, you can't judge a man's heart, but you know, you can, you can judge his activity and you can judge sort of the fruit of his labor. And that's sort of a sign of maybe what God is doing in a person's life, that sort of Puritan Protestant work ethic piece of it. So this is not, as much as we joke about it being a progressive or this is a very, not just a progressive, it's a very equal opportunity word of dismissal from Jesus about how we value people and how we judge them. Yeah. Because if you translate this to different cultural settings with different uh, valuations mm. of who's on top and who's not, then the content cha- would change. Right, right. Right. If it's a rich man in the first century, it might be something else today. It might be a learned scholar if you're if you're existing in the uh, we'll say the 16th century, right? Or right. A, a prince, or you know, however you you draw this valuation of of worth, right? 
Jesus's parable, if it were to be retold in a, in a different setting, would be retold according to different valuations. And for his context, it's it's richness. It's, R- it's rich and poor, right, right. And that's a yeah. really wise word. Like, so who's on the top and who's on the bottom of your sort of cultural, you know, totem pole to use that that imagery, right? Uh, Christ is 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 saying it, it, in this instance, it's it's money and it's wealth, but in other cultures, it could be social standing. In other cultures, it could be age, for example, mm. or in other cultures, it could be strength, or in other cultures, it could be. I mean, you could you can imagine virtue. places in the world, virtue, right? You can imagine yeah. places in the world where um, the sort of cultural flip it, it looks different than money and wealth, but that doesn't change that. Christ and the gospel of of Jesus's death and resurrection, grace flips that totem pole. It flips our priorities as a culture, and so we become countercultural in that sense. So before I read the article that I have for you guys, I have to ask: Who is the most famous person you've ever met or seen in real life? Huh. I mean. I live uh, New York area. Mm. Like I have a few of these. So you see them like every day. I mean, not every day, but I mean, there is a, like people walk in the city, which means you run into people. You can't hide in New York in that way, right? So, for example, I've uh, walked past uh, Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. I've walked past Bill Murray. Uh, I have seen oh, the Bill Murray the, in in the live. blessed apparition of Saint yeah. Bill Murray. The blessed oh. apparition. You've been blessed. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in Washington Square and I and I walked past him. He was kind of wearing glasses and uh, no hat and he and he walked into an apartment building and I it took me about three steps before I realized. Wait a second. Yeah. Did you brush? It was shoulder? it was he. Did you did you brush shoulders? Did I brush? No, yeah. I did not. Did you brush touch the hem of his cloak? No, I, I, <laughs> no. I, I, I had the modesty to not run after him and and, assault, and uh, assault him by asking for an autograph or anything like that. I'm proud of you, Todd. I'm proud. Yeah, um, yeah. Or um, my parents once met Jimmy Fallon. Oh. Um, huh. They were in the back of the church, and the church music was playing, and he, Jimmy Fallon and his wife walked in to, to kind of you know, listen to the music. Mm-hmm. And my parents were, struck up a conversation with him, and my mom didn't know who he was at all. <laughs> and so about halfway through, she said, I'm, I'm sorry, should I know you? Oh. And, he's, and he says, I'm, I'm J- Jimmy Fallon. And my mom, what, what should I know you from? <laughs> <laughs> that would be my mom too, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and he says, "Well, I, actually, I'm in the new Matlock." <laughs> and my mom's response, of course, was, "Wait, they're making a new Matlock." <laughs> <laughs> ah! Do you think Jimmy Fallon went home that night and like like looked in the mirror and was like? <sighs> You know what I mean? Like, do you think I, he was humbled by that? Know? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> like, was it a, was was his <laughs> ego bruised? <laughs> I, I I I don't know. Like, it's so funny. Uh, I love that you have those stories. I don't have those stories. Uh, I you know I'm I'm outside of Pittsburgh. I've been in my ministry and my adult life has been like West Virginia and 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 Western Pennsylvania. We don't have our fair share of celebrities out there, but uh, I did see Stevie Wonder in an airport. That's about as close as I've got. And the the thing that struck out to me the most was uh, his bodyguard, who <laughs> was like a foot and a half taller and the largest man I've ever seen. So did you did you wave at him? I did not. <laughs> 
<laughs> Todd, you really want this joke, and I can't give it to you. You really want the joke. Did he? No, no, not go with there. Oh man, a dear listener, we we have debated whether or not it would be uh, appropriate to make the joke as to asking whether Stevie Wonder saw Brian, um, and. <laughs> They don't want me to say that. We we have decided that we would we would like you to keep listening and not cancel us. So we will not be making a joke about Stevie Wonder's blindness. And so you should think we're very virtuous for that. <laughs> so I have I actually I've never met a famous person in real life. Mm-hmm. I've also never seen them like across the street or anything. But I do have this little shtick that I do with my friends. You or have a with, shtick? Yeah, I do okay. with uh, people that I just meet. I pretend that Vin Diesel is my uncle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? I okay. Why? So so me, my mom, and my sister, we watch all of the Fast and Furious movies. Like when they're on cable television, we binge watch them. And so I love Vin Diesel. I think he's amazing, and I just really want to be related to him. And so I just. Um, I just pretend that he's my uncle for a little bit. And I actually have convinced multiple people of this. So your love of Vin Diesel leads you to like social delusion? <laughs> or you're like, she's trying to will it into I'm existence. Just, oh, yes. Yes. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to like, manifest it, Tom. Oh. Um, as, our, as the Gen Zers like to do. If you, if like you say do. it enough, it will surely happen. Yeah. Or <laughs> maybe. Like, you're laughing, but one day, like yeah. her distant cousin's going to like marry his distant cousin yeah. and like it's going to happen. Or maybe one day I'll meet him and I'll let him know and he'll just make me his like honorary niece or something. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay, Ka- Callie, what what does this little yeah? What, what's the celebrity? What does deal? this rabbit trail have to do with the parable? <laughs> so, um, this rabbit hole is because <laughs> the article that I have for you it's from Cynthia Heimel. Mm. And it's originally published in 1990 in the Village Voice. 90? Yes. Nine zero. Yes. Okay. That's 30 years ago, guys. Oh, dude, this is... Okay, go ahead. Yes. Yes. But anyway, she is talking about celebrities. And so that is is kind of why I asked for your celebrity stories. Um, So she writes this. uh, During this vile and grimy decade... We have, by necessity, come to believe that unless you are a celebrity, you don't exist at all. If you are not a celebrity, you are inert filler. If the media isn't flashbulbing your every gesture, it didn't happen. Private epiphanies, soul-wrenching despairs, so what? Who cares? You are a tree falling alone in the forest. And so was born a frenzied desire in all psyches to achieve celebritude and therefore existence. The media, ever obliging, obliged. Slots opened up all over television. New magazines were created simply to make room for the surging of tides of wannabes. Mm. She goes on later in the article. This, this is this is 1990. 1990. Like, like, yeah. like, this isn't social commentary on TikTok. This is no. like this is pre Facebook by like 15 years. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Continue. We interrupted. But she goes on to say, I pity celebrities. No, I do. The mm-hmm. minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute he or she becomes a monster. 
Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings with whom you might lunch on a slow Tuesday afternoon. But now they have become supreme beings and their wrath is awful. It's not what they had in mind. She says this, when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. Ooh. Oh. Isn't that dark. like a hard, a really hard sentence to swallow? It was hard to say. I, I don't like to think that he's giggling merrily yes. while you uh, sort of despair and if, everything. If God wanted to. Right, right. But right. The, 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 the gist is of what she's saying is... I think absolutely true. Today, I, I've been um, in my own sort of talkings with like the, the kids today. Uh, something that comes up, people are like, "Kids, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And it used to be you want to be the president of the United States, right? That was mm. the, the mm-hmm. ultimate thing. Or like you wanted to be maybe um, astronaut, astronaut, a veterinarian, uh, a veterinary doctor. Now the answer is um, YouTube star. <laughs> Or even like oh. TikTok, TikTok influencer. influencer, Instagram yeah. influencer. And uh, I think, yeah, nowadays right, we're, in this parable, we're talking about the what does the culture perceive as being the chief value? Uh, who are the people who are getting into quote unquote heaven? Uh, who are the people who God has blessed? Um, now more than ever, it, we do have a sort of celebrity. Like that's, I think, the point of that article and how it connects to the parable. Yeah. Is, is celebrity would be one of those things today in our own time, where where yeah, uh, the you know to be a celebrity and to have that following, to be worshipped and adored, is to is to be in that sort of demigod place in our society. I think that makes perfect sense. Even even the sort of divine connection of it. Because a lot of celebrity today is is cultivated around a sense of likability, mm, um, and, res- yeah. and and so people who are liked they're kind of our ideal aspirational selves. Um, so surely they are the people who have it all together. Yes. Right. They're the people who haven't who don't wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep because of their anxiety, right? Or right, right, right. however you want to square it. Like if 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 we just reached that point of our lives, then we might be happy. Happy, yeah. And uh, it's it's so hard because you know what Jesus's wisdom here is is the exact opposite is true, and that thing won't mm. fulfill it, right? Like the gospel of this parable is that you don't have to be that to find the love of God, right? You don't have to be the celebrity. You don't have to be on the top of the totem pole. Like the love of God is for the entire thing. And you can, Lazarus is, is about as pitiful and poor as you can get in our reading today. And so however pitiful and poor you are in our own context today, you know, the, the love of the gospel is, is for you. And that's, I think, a remarkable piece of good news from this parable. Yeah, like you you might feel worthless, right? <laughs> because yeah. because you know that YouTube video you 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 put is is stuck at uh, 131 views or, or whatever the default number they throw in there for. Right, right. And uh you're trying to trying to be liked, you're trying to be known and unable to or uh you know, you don't have any followers on on Facebook mm. or on Twitter. You don't have any likes on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you got likes on Facebook, on, on Facebook in this life and he did not, she did not. (laughs) Wow. 
that will be quite the word to come from the heavens <laughs> from Abraham, you know, that when that day comes. Yeah, and it's just, it's just so freeing, right? Because uh, you know, every time you hear about a celebrity kind of having a falling apart or every time you hear about a rich person having a bad day, you know, even Elon Musk, right? He represents in some way this character who supposedly should have it all together and he doesn't. And um, you know, he'll tell, you know, he said before he's like I have the most advanced technology companies in the world and more money to do what I can with, but you know, I have zero romantic fulfillment in my life and I go to bed tired and, and alone. And this he, is before he was dating, um, what's her name? The, the, uh, Grimes. Um, Grimes. Is it Grimes? Yeah. This is, this now? is before yeah. all that, that came <laughs> through. I still don't think uh, giving your kid a funky name and, and then breaking up and then like clearly the, the poor guy, right? So on one pedal, he represents everything, but on other, he represents the bankruptcy of it too. Um, where, where even though he has everything that we all could possibly want in terms of dollars and cents and likes and, and platform, he is someone who also represents how um, those things don't fix anything. There's something about pitying Elon Musk, which just feels a little incongruous. Uh, but, you know, that's just because we're... That's because we're supposed to hate the rich people, right? Right, um, right, right. But Yeah. Yeah, but in some senses, if, if we were to take a kind of God's eye view... Right. The things that we think he supposedly has it all, but he doesn't Hmm. like that's actually the kind of God's eye view of of people. And if you do preach this text and you're going to go on a sort of long rant about, you know, sort of eat the rich, give your money, that sort of thing. There's there's I think two things that that two things I would say to that. The first is remember that Jesus loved the rich young ruler. Right. Um, The text says Jesus looked at him and he loved him and the rich young ruler walked away sad. Uh, And you you recognize throughout Jesus's ministry that the gospel is for them too. I think the last thing I would say too is there's real good news in this parable, despite all the talk of heaven and hell about a God who does reach out and a God who does even, you know, come back from the dead uh, to save people who um, did not actually fully understand the law and the prophets. Part of the good news, I think, as well with this is that, you know, so much of our life today is spent trying to accumulate worth and worthiness in some, some way, shape or form. Mm, um, mm. you know, we may not have social media accounts or, or whatever, but we, we want to be respected, liked. We want to, to be well known. Uh, and we want to leave a legacy. We want to be, leave a legacy. We mm. want to, we want to, we want to be loved in some senses. And what this parable really cuts to is so often that the things that we look to for our self-worth, the Mm. things we look to, to think that if I have this, I'll, I'll be enough. Ultimately at the end of the day have no worth whatsoever. Mm. And this mirrors the disappointment we feel when we think we've arrived and we haven't. Mm. Um, And this gives voice to that. And it also gives voice to the despair we feel when we don't feel like we're enough that God is, is for us then too, and perhaps especially then, in our right. weakness, in our shame, and in our feeling as if we, we just can't get ahead in this world no matter what we do. I think just the fact that Jesus redefines what we think of worth also leaves life open for us to make mistakes. Huh. I mean, because with celebrities, or even if you're not a celebrity or whatever, and with cancel culture... Like, because our worth is not dependent upon what we do or if we say everything perfectly or if we 
are knowledgeable about everything that we need to know or that society says we need to know. Like Jesus says that none of that matters. And so when we make mistakes, he says we are, we are still loved and we are still worthy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that's, how, that's how Paul ends his letters, right? So that, that's a good way to end an episode. Thank you for listening to Terrible Parables. You can find us on the web at ember.com. Audio production for Terrible Parables is provided by TJ Hester. Please leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you've had a not-so-terrible time. Bye.